This is Rumble's Radio, and uh, Alex and I are very excited to be uh, at a brewery today. Yeah, this is a chore, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> uh, it's a lovely sunny day, and we've come to Knoll Spring to the home of Timothy Taylor's Brewery. Uh, Tim Dewey is here with us. He's the chief executive. He's going to take us on a little tour. What are you most excited about seeing? Well, just the whole process, because, you know, you smell the the hops and everything as you're driving past but just actually seeing the wizardry of it all because I've, I've drunk enough of the stuff so it's good to actually see behind the doors really and we'll, we'll find out whether it's going to make him drink more or drink less after we've been around but we'll see uh, tim uh, such a historic uh, company for keithley as well a lot of uh, people know of timothy taylor's and when you say keithley to them when you're visiting other places they go oh timothy taylor's absolutely and i mean the great thing is we were founded uh, here in the town in 1858, not on this exact location, uh, Cook Lane. I think that's now where the uh, shopping center is. But fortunately, this piece of land known as Knoll Spring came up for sale in 1863, and the brewery moved here. Really, uh, the clue is in the, the name, Knoll Spring. In the 1800s, we, we take uh, clean water for granted these days, but getting a reliable source of water was quite challenging then, and that's what attracted Timothy to the site. And you're still using the spring water today. Do you think that's one of the things that makes Timothy Taylor's beer so special? Absolutely. There are a number of characteristics I've sort of tried to identify in my time here. And one of them is we have this unique source of water that's in all our beers. And it really does have a very clean taste. And it comes from the Knoll Spring, which is, believe it or not, 300 feet below the brewery. So we're looking forward to coming and have a look around and uh, we're going to take our listeners with us on the, on this little tour around the brewery. What should we be looking out for? What do you think the most exciting things we're going to see today? Uh, I suppose if I had to pick one thing, and I don't know if it's exciting, but um, it's sort of, I think, something very unique, particularly for a brewery our size, is the fact that we still use whole leaf hops. And when I show you the hassle the team have to go through to keep using whole leaf hops. Um, most large breweries these days and most breweries these days use hop pellets, but we just don't feel, I mean, the guys tested them long before I came here and just didn't feel we get the depth of flavor with them. And uh, I think when you see them laid out in these sort of containers, um, these baskets, and what we have to do to get them and get them into the brew, I think if there was one thing where you'd say, God, that you know, that shows how these guys don't want to compromise on, on quality. So, but uh, I don't know, you, you can come to your own conclusions. The digital radio station for Ilkley, Skipton and Keithley. Rumbles Radio. This is the beginning of the process and it's kind of number one on my list of the key seven things that I think make a difference in our beer. And it's the fact that we use Golden Promise barley. It's a very high specification barley. In fact, you know, the malt whiskies used to use it until they couldn't get enough of it. And Simpsons, who supply most of it, actually bought the seed to protect its availability uh, for us. And in the old days, it was kept inside in old malt bins, which we'll get to go in later. Now it's in this big hopper here. And so the, the lorry will back up to where that rubber uh, mat is. It'll be pulled across. There's a chamber underneath, and it goes in. There are four hoppers in here. And then when we need it into the brew, it goes, it goes inside. But the other interesting thing with the Golden Promise, it's not just the Golden Promise. We have a specification within which it has to sit. So not any Golden Promise will do. And my predecessor, Charles Dent, has a farm in Yorkshire, and we've taken great pleasure in rejecting his Golden Promise as not satisfactory <laughs> for Timothy Taylor's beer. And that's absolutely true. So Tim, we're inside now, it's very warm. Tell us where we are. <laughs> right, well, we're next to liquor tank. So liquor, actually, it's not an alcoholic product. In brewing, it just refers to water that's been treated to be used in the brewing process. And, and of course, inside this big tank here, is the water from Knoll Spring, 
all ready to be eventually used for, for a brew either late today or more likely tomorrow morning. We have to get it up to 151 degrees old money. Yep. This is like an interim tank. And if you remember the old electric kettles where you can see the elements, well, if you were to look in the inside of this, you'd see these massive um, pipes and the steam goes through that and then, and then heats it up. The second tank that you can see there, um, we had to put that in because we're brewing so much beer, we, we, the water wasn't keeping pace, so we had to get the brewing liquor really going over time. So tell us where we moved on to now, Tim. Yeah. Well, this is both good and bad timing. Good timing in that you're here to see the beginning of the process called mashing in. Bad timing, which is if you're not careful, you get lots of splashes onto your clothing. Yeah, I was, um, I was noticing some, some heading our way. Yeah, no, it, it's funny. You don't think anything's coming out and then you leave it and you realize it's all over your clothes. Uh, but basically, the process of mashing in is we the barley that's been through the mill is in this hopper that you can see here. That's dropping in. And then the brewing liquor, which we talked about earlier, is coming in from a big tank upstairs, which we'll see in a minute. And they're combined into a, dare I call it, a porridge in this uh, mash tun. Uh, and it's in here for about five hours. And the whole idea is that the brewing liquor, by circulating through the malted barley, is picking up all the nutrients that the yeast will want to feed on uh, to convert into alcohol. And it smells great already. No, I know, it really <laughs> does, it really does. I like the use of the term nutrients. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is, this is a great breakfast porridge, I think. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Interestingly, um, when the mash, uh, the mash is done in five hours, a local farmer will come and pick it up in their trailer, the, the spent barley, and that's used for animal feed. So uh, the butcher up the road from us, Chris Hurd, um, I've actually had steaks from him, and he said to me, there's a little bit of your tailors in this, in this steak. Fantastic. We come to a really interesting bit now. So these are our whole leaf hops um, here, Tim, and there's not a lot of breweries, if any, using whole leaf hops. Tell us why you use them like this. Well, again, uh, a lot of the industry, for convenience, have moved to what they call hop pellets that come in vacuum-packed pouches. And, and our brewers are open-minded, and when they first became popular, they tried them. But they just don't feel uh, that we get the depth of flavor from using them that we do from sticking with the whole leaf hops. Having said that, in order to keep using them, as you can see over on our left, um, we've got to bring these massive bales up here, three stories, uh, with a chap wearing a safety harness. So it's, it's a real hassle, but again, I think it goes back to one of the principles at, at Taylor's, which is we're not going to compromise, you know, the quality of the beer for convenience. Uh, you know, the quality comes, comes first, and that's why we still use the whole leaf hops. And so for people who don't know much about yeah. the process, what actually is this? Where does it come from? Okay, so if you take something like Landlord, which is still the bulk of our production, we use three main hops, uh, Fuggles, Goldings, and Styrian Goldings. Uh, two of those, the, the Fuggles and the Goldings, come from the UK, Worcestershire, Kent, uh, and the other actually comes in from uh, Slovenia. Somebody once uh, challenged me and said, you know, you said you haven't changed the recipe since the 1950s, but are you buying these Slovenian hops on the cheap or whatever? And, and I didn't know the answer to the question, so I asked our head brewer. And, and of course, the reality is this. In the 1950s, the amount of beer that was consumed in the UK was absolutely massive. And the UK could not produce enough hops to feed that industry. And it just so happens that when Landlord was created, tailors were buying in these Slovenian hops. And so it's quite the contrary. We've stuck with those Slovenian hops since that day because they're integral to the Landlord recipe. 
And have they got more expensive? Because we hear everything's got more expensive in the last few years. Does that apply to these? Yeah, they are partly because, again, we use a lot more hops. I don't mean types of hops, but physically the sheer amount we use is quite high um, to get the right uh, both degree of bitterness but also the degree of flavor. Um, and also we have to make long-term commitments to our farmers. If I take something like Fuggles, it's very prone to a thing called wilt and therefore we have to uh, offer sort of extra financial incentives to the farmers who grow Fuggles because they take a much higher risk in growing it. Similarly, if you take say, uh, we were talking about the Golden Promise, the farmers that grow that, it's a much lower yield, they can't use much fertilizer to hit our specification, so we make long-term uh, commitments to them. Uh, as well. So we're back downstairs now, Tim. Where, where are we in the process? So this is called a hop back. And again, I'm on the sort of list of characteristics, what makes our beers different is the fact that we still use a hop back. Now, don't get me wrong, modern breweries probably never used them, but most traditional breweries did. And then a lot of them said, oh, do we need to do this? We could save time and money, you know, by cutting it out of the process. Well, we don't, again, think we get the depth of flavor without it. So what is it? Well, as I mentioned, when it's boiling up with the hops and the copper, that boiling action can destroy some of the more delicate flavors. So when we're done in the copper, after about an hour, we drop the wort into this vessel where we've got other whole leaf hops. You can see bags here waiting for today's second brew. And it allows it to sort of steep. You can see it's not boiling, it's just sitting there. So think um, tea water with tea leaves. And that allows it to pick up some of the delicate flavors that no matter how we handle the hops, with the copper, we would lose. And again, it just adds that depth of flavor to the beer. Now it's a little bit cooler where we are now, yeah, Tim. Absolutely. And um, there's a, a better smell of beer down here yeah, as well. Yeah. Where are we now? Well, we're in uh, the oldest fermenting room uh, in the Taylor's business. We actually have four fermenting rooms, but this is the heart of the old uh, brewery. And this has a special feature, which is this cutout, because believe it or not, we actually harvest the yeast uh, using these big vessels you see here and we will reuse that yeast in next week's brew and we've been doing that for over 40 years so I don't mean we've been using the same <laughs> yeast I mean we've been using the sons and daughters of the yeast and reusing it and the, the brewers rationale is we tend to ferment relatively low temperature low nitrogen and the view is by reusing it it gets better and better it's doing its thing under our conditions is that something that other brewers don't do? Again, I think you'll find there's a mix. I think it's not that unusual, so a number of brewers will redo it. But equally, I was in Germany viewing a brewery once, and, and they had these lovely shoots. And I thought, wow, that's much better to collect the yeast in our manual system. And the chap said to me, no, that's going to waste, you know. <laughs> and so literally, they, they bin it, and then they re uh, propagate, if that's the right word, the yeast for each each brew. And, and reusing the yeast and, and repopulating it, how much of a difference does that make to flavors and things like that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, again, I hope without getting into too much technical detail because I'm not a brewer, but what I, what I understand from Andy LeMann, our head brewer, is that part of the reason a lot of breweries won't keep reusing uh, the yeast is after a certain period, it almost starts to change character of its own accord. And of course, if it changed character, that will change the character of the beer. But we got this uh, yeast from Oldham Brewery and have been going for quite a while. And then it's evolved over time to suit us. So Andy's point is the reason we can keep using it, it whatever evolution 
you know, in terms of characteristics, it's going to undertake. It undertook quite a number of years ago. So it's for us, it's stable, and it's stable for our environment. And that's why we keep using it. Um, and, and also why the other reason we like to reuse it is because, as I say, it's, it's conditioned to our you know, lower nitrogen, lower temperature brewing. Yeah, I like the fact when you focus in with your eyes, you see it moving. I know, no, I mean, people forget, you know, yeast, it is a living organism. So we've now uh, come down to the, the point at which the beer is ready to put, get put in the casks, Tim, and uh, some impressive machinery here. No, absolutely. This was a, a big investment done by my uh, predecessor, Charles Dent. And what happens here is the clean cask will come down the back, it'll roll forward. You can see this sort of uh, light here, infrared light. It picks up where the shive is, the opening we want to fill into, and it automatically rotates the cask so it's facing up and then the operator will grab this arm, hit these two green buttons, and that arm with that rummer bung will you know, sit into the cask. And as soon as it's sat, it will automatically fill to either nine gallons or 18 gallons. As you can see, we have five stations here. So you know, the operator gets one going, moves on and on, and then if they've timed it well, by the time they get the fifth one going, this one's almost you know, ready to finish. We manually hit the bung in, hit this button, it drops to the lower level and goes around uh, to dispatch. And what kind of quantities of, of beer are you outputting through the brewery every day? Well, let me start with a week and then we can always divide, <laughs> divide through. We're doing something like uh, of cask, say last week, we did 1,600 barrels. Now, one um, nine gallon is actually a quarter. So if you, let's, let's stick with an easy number for my maths. 1,500 barrels would be 6,000 nines. Uh, multiply 6,000 times 72 pints. And I don't know, that's just under half a million pints in a week going out. If I haven't dropped a decimal point, it could be 5 million. Yeah, I think we'll believe you on the <laughs> I, I, I need my, my calculator, to be honest. <laughs> Rumbles Radio. You're listening to Rumbles Radio. So here we are back in the uh, ballroom. We've had a good look round. Uh, absolutely fascinating. And you've showed us a lot of the processes around quality checking and you guys kind of go above and beyond what's required really compared to a lot of other breweries. Yeah, I think um, for us it's kind of quality is, is, is number one. And, uh, you know, some of the things I talked about as we went around is where we won't trade off, you know, compromise making things easier for ourselves if it's going to uh, compromise the quality of, of the beer. Uh, for example, the fact that we, we let all that yeast flow into the cask. We want a vigorous secondary fermentation, even though it means the licensee has to work very hard, wait a minimum of 48 hours um, for the beer to be ready, whereas with other cask scales, it could be three hours and it's ready because they've taken out a, a lot of the yeast. So we don't have one single motto for the, the brewery, but certainly when I talk to people, customers about it, it's this we refuse really to trade off convenience for quality. Um, the focus is on still producing Landlord and other beers as they were produced when they were created. And you mentioned Landlord. Obviously, that's the jewel in the crown. That's the famous Timothy Taylor's beer. But you have a handful of others, but you you kind of, you've not got this massive explosion. You have guest ales now and then, but it's generally you stick to your core products. Yeah, and, and again, it's a slightly different approach to some brewers, but we just think it suits us as a brewery to kind of get that sort of focus uh, and, and continuity. I just think if you try and produce too many things week in and week out, 
uh, it can, can confuse your customers and, and, and the consumer. They don't know what they're going to get when. So, um, you know, we take great pride in the beers uh, that we produce. Of course, we've produced new ones. You know, our Knoll Spring Blonde uh, has been produced in the time I've been here. But, yeah, it's focusing on those. Um, and when we do something special, we'll do it as a one-off brew for a short period of time. So, again, make sure it gets that attention. And the beer that is leaving here is going out in, in, in barrels and, you know, on lorries to be bottled and, and now canned with your latest product. Yeah, so basically anything that uh, your, your listeners get in a cask uh, from Taylor's will have been put in the cask here in the brewery. Uh, for things like kegging, canning, and bottling, the beer will always be brewed by us, but then we use trusted partners, other family brewers, uh, to do that for us who've made the investment in the, you know, the latest equipment to make sure that that process goes as it should do. And so uh, we talked about canning. You know, your first canned product has launched this year, at Hopical Storm. Tell us about that and, and why you decided to launch a beer in a can. Well, I mean, first of all, it's really exciting because, uh, and I love the way we've we've kind of been flexible because it was originally brewed as a cask beer and sold as a cask beer. But, you know, the more we tasted it, it just seemed like the character of it with these extra hops um, was really suited for a kegged product. And then one's got to be honest, you know, one of my, um, uh, you know, the requirements of my role is to make sure we're here for another, you know, 160 years or whatever it is. And the fact of the matter is, since I joined in 2014, the cask ale market has lost one in every three pints. And so, yes, we've grown within that, so don't get me wrong, we're doing very healthy, but how do we know what the next 10, 15, 20 years holds for us? One of the growth sectors in ale has been kegged ale, and it was a genuine belief that this product really suited the keg, coming together with, well, you know, having a foot in that keg camp would really help protect the brewery, uh, that led us in that direction. And then the natural next step was, again, Hopical was in bottles for a period, but cans are very popular, uh, particularly for uh, younger legal drinking age consumers. And we just felt, look, this is the perfect brand to use to put our toe in that in that camp. So it's only recently been released, but um, yeah, we've had great feedback. So we've got great expectations for it. Do you go around in disguise to pubs checking the quality of your pints i don't but again this this will back to this quality point it probably won't surprise you after the time you've had with me today that every single one of our salespeople, and we have 16 people out in the field is cask mark quality trained and starting last year we made it more of a requirement that when they go into an outlet that they taste the beer and they're all trained to a level where if the beer doesn't taste right by working with the publican, they can isolate what the issue is uh, and help that publican correct it. Because uh, since COVID, we've had so much more distribution. Uh, we've gained so many more accounts. But that's not really good to us if then the consumer goes in and the beer isn't drinking as it should be. And so um, I certainly go out and do my fair share of testing. Um, but it'd be fair to say our sales guys are, are literally doing that as a, as a key part of their, uh, their job. I know 20-so uh, years ago, um, Prince Charles then, as Prince Charles came to visit the brewery here uh, in Keithley. And so you're bringing back one of your old beers to celebrate the coronation. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's a – I'll be honest with you on this one because I think it just shows what – 
our team, our brewing team, and even our marketing team alike, because we, we've been really busy. And so when they mention about doing this, you know, you would think this wouldn't come to the chief executive. But I said, look, guys, do you really want to create another beer? You've got a, you know, another thing to worry about in amongst all this. And this is where the passion of the team show through. And they're like, no, no, absolutely. And the fact that this beer, you know, we, we first brewed for Prince Charles, um, you know, we've got to do it. And so, um, yeah, they did a brew of it. And back to this thing about we don't do hundreds of things. You know, we, the expression is uh, there's like a wiggy gig or something, you know, when it's gone, it's gone sort of approach. So we made one brew of it let our customers know, and let me tell you, it's all gone. You know, it's all spoken for already in terms of getting out to accounts. And we talked at the start about the history of this place, as you say, 160 years plus. Um, and the the key thing about Taylor's is that it has always been family owned, yeah. and it still is today. Absolutely. It's 100% family owned. I mean, I've been here coming up for nine years. I don't have a single share in the in the company. doesn't bother me in the least, but that's literally the way our Articles Association are structured. I think it's worth because um, the horsefuls sometimes feel left out. So the interesting bit is the people who can hold shares are descendants of Timothy Taylor or descendants of Sir Donald Horsfall because at a very precarious part of the brewery's history, uh, when some death duties were due, etc., the brewery actually was put up for sale. And Sir Donald Horsfall was a friend of the Taylors and said, look, I don't want you to have to sell. I will invest in the brewery. So it's a, a really important shareholding, and that's why you'll see you know, the horsefuls on the shareholder register. And do you think it will be here in another 160 years? Absolutely. I mean, I'm doing everything in, in my power, and the team is, and uh, you know, I know the family are really committed to the independence because uh, you know, we've gone through a number of things while we've walked around today. A lot of those wouldn't be here or wouldn't be being done the same way if it wasn't for the family taking a kind of long-term view, you know, not worried about quarterly earnings or half-yearly earnings or their dividend, but, you know, the, the sustenance and the pride they have in the brewery. It's been really great. Um, thank you so much for showing us around, Tim, and telling us more about Taylor's. We've loved it. Yeah, thank you. Just need to sample a can now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. no, we're going to have to drink to that one. Get all our interviews with local people anytime on the Rumble's Radio Local Podcast. <laughs>